Before we start this episode of Dr Whodcast, we'd like to draw your attention to BLAM UK, a charity which promotes a truthful discourse of blackness through analysis of history by providing more diverse education for young people. Right now, you can donate to help BLAM organise free lessons on black history for children. And if you are a white fan of Doctor Who and want to continue to learn, educate and be more actively anti-racist, I'd like to recommend the podcast Woke Doctor Who, who have done several episodes on how race in both the fandom and the show has been portrayed. I'd especially recommend the episode Martha My Dear, which goes a long way to explain the toxic institutionalised racism that we as Doctor Who fans need to reject in ourselves and in our community to create a better world. Hello, faithful listener, and welcome to a very special episode of the Doctor Whoodcast. Um, I am recording this message from the future, near future. Um, it's not um, twenty thirty because that would be actual time travel. Um, but I'm recording this message from the future because what you're about to listen to is our very special bonus episode of the Doctor Whoodcast uh, on the Doctor Who movie. Uh, the 1996 movie with Paul McGann as the Doctor. Now, this is actually the very first episode, this is our pilot episode of the podcast that we ever recorded. So a bit of housekeeping before we start. Um, every time I refer to Michael Gear, I actually mean Michael Grade. I think it's corrected later in the episode, but I just wanted to make sure because it's a very important, very important man in Doctor Who history. Um, we can't forget Michael Grade. Um and how he hated the show, and how he cancelled the show, boo, Michael Grade, boo, anyway, so please, please enjoy, and cue titles. You just start. I've started. You've started. Hey, and we'll hey. finish together. <laughs> We're doing a podcast. I know. I'm I'm extremely excited about this, and I have every confidence that it will go off without a hitch, which <laughs> is why people do practice podcast episodes. This isn't the first episode. This is the practice episode that we fuck up on. Exactly. This is the episode that we will release if it's good. But if it's not good, you will never hear this episode. So if you're listening to this right now, this is a fantastic episode. Yeah, it, it has gone well enough that we can show it to you. The exactly. thing is, but if it doesn't go well, you don't exist. No, exactly. You, the listener, you're not a person. <laughs> you are merely ourselves? a hype. What? Can we introduce ourselves? Why? No, Why? there's no need. No, yeah, all right, I'll introduce myself. Hi, I'm Charlie Harris. Well, hi, I'm Will Paxton. Oh, you're not, not William. No, see, I rebranded as Will at university, but no one knows this because I made a fatal mistake on my first day of university because everyone used to call me Paxton at school and I was like, nope, not having any of this anymore. So I was like, okay, I'm going to rebrand. I'm going to call myself Will. And then... 
um, drunk <laughs> on the first night, I started calling myself Paxton. Why are we... Why were you addressing yourself in the third person on your first night at uni? That is, well, it's bold, but it's also... I d- I'm dramatic. I don't know. I love the drama. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you love the drama of acting like a frat boy from the 1990s. What? Have you seen what I'm wearing Wearing right now? I literally look no, like... No, a... well, I, I so, so, sort of. I'm just going to... For the listeners at home, I'm standing up. If you exist, he is standing up. If you if you don't exist, he is not. <laughs> I look like him in Romeo and Juliet. That's that's how I look like. Wait, you look like Leo in Romeo and Juliet. Exactly. Yes. That that's that's what I've always wanted to look like, and now I do. Except he was except he was a natural blonde. <laughs> how dare you? How very dare you? Um, right, we're doing a Doctor Who podcast. We are supposed to be doing a Doctor Who podcast. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what are we reviewing? How's it, go- how's it How's it going? How's what going? <laughs> How's the podcast going? I think it's going all right. I think it's going really well. Yeah, I think it's going time. really well. Yeah, I think I, I haven't th- laughed this much since our last conversation. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, we said this uh, would be freeform and fun. Who knows how much more freeform and fun it's been? Maybe, maybe at this point in the actual podcast, we are like so like efficient and so like well prepped, and we're like, welcome to the Doctor Who podcast. Like that's, but that's how not how we want it. Oh, we haven't even said the fucking name of the podcast. Yes, this is the Doctor Who cast. This is a celebration. Doctor Hodcast. Yes, this is a celebration of Doctor Who. We are going through Doctor Who chronologically and doing bonus episodes whenever we feel like it or whenever we want to. And this one, we are doing a fun fab ep- review of the 1996 Doctor Who TV movie. Was that was that professional? Was that good? I think it's as professional as we're going to get. At this stage, yeah, I think we've hit the peak. Watch it now, go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's all downhill. Should we just stop recording? <laughs> yeah, let's stop recording. We've done it. We've done it. Well done. <laughs> no, let, let, let's not. I was scared. That, uh, I was thinking, what would happen if I actually stopped recording and that would just fuck everything up? <laughs> <laughs> it would just be me talking into a microphone, like, Charlie. Charlie, you there? <laughs> but then I'd come back and you wouldn't quite know where to put it. <laughs> That's true. I would have a nightmare with editing. Oh. Something also we need to explain. Um, in 2020, there was a coronavirus pandemic. And mm. another thing, if you're listening to this not from lockdown, congratulations. We as a species survived. I know. It's really nice putting out an episode that will come out in the future that will have so much hope. <laughs> Whereas now... It's yes, just... because this will be a... Bo- yes, you're right, because this will be a bonus episode. So hopefully it would come out... A bit down, a bit down the line. Yeah, when we can leave our um, houses. Yes, when we can hopefully leave our houses and are busy being survival, surviving, <laughs> being alive. <laughs> We're busy being the uh, the last episode of, of classic Doctor Who survival. There we go. I'm back. <laughs> hey, he's back. Remember, it's a Doctor Who podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Shall we? Shall we? Shall we jump in? Shall we jump in? Where do you want to start with this? This. It's very. It's a very odd thing. This. This as an entity. It's got a very odd production history. It's a. It's a very odd um, like placement in time. It's an odd idea, like a TV movie, like as a sort of half pilot, half reintroduction of Doctor Who. It's a very. It's a very odd entity and beast. This. And so it's. It's fascinating to re- to go through it. Well, in the biz, it's what we call a backdoor pilot. Oh yes, in the biz. <laughs> Although, <laughs> not biz. 
It's not not my biz. It's in a biz. Yes, in the biz that is showbiz, it is the biz. Will tell us about the troubled history of this backdoor pilot, and have you ever met a backdoor pilot? <laughs> I've met a pilot through in um, and been in the backdoor, but I've never met a backdoor pilot. Um, <laughs> I wasn't quite sure how I, I like. If I worked really hard at that, there is a pun somewhere. I could make a pilot anal sex joke, but I'm classy now. Yeah, you're classy. I'm, I'm very impressed with the classiness. Um, see, I, I know the history of this, but I'm really bad with names. So what, what can happen is if I say this person and then you say da and then throw it back at me, um, then... That say the work. person's name or do I say da? <laughs> you say the person's <laughs> name, hopefully. You could say da. That would be fun. What if I say da and then the person's name? Yes, that could work. Um, so th- so thank you to Clever Dick's um, YouTube. Um, and maybe listening, who knows? Sh- I'm, I'm Clever, Dick, Clever Dick movies. Uh, if you're into Doctor Who and want someone who is far more clued up than we are to talk about it, check out his YouTube channel. It's awesome. It's amazing. And it, it goes through the whole history of Doctor Who from the first Doctor on to at this point, um, he might have released the David Tennant's one yet, but up to Chris he Cropleton. hasn't. I was I was on it today. He has not. Oh no, Charlie! We're we're talking from the future. We're talking from the future. Remember? Oh well, yes. In which case, Clever Dick is dead now, <laughs> and <laughs> oh, yeah, not so clever Dick anymore. Bless him. Not so clever Dick. He he went out during lockdown. <laughs> yes. Oh oh oh! Too soon. It, it might not be by the time this by the time this comes out. <laughs> yes. Uh, so let's go into the history of it. Um, but Doctor Who was um, dead in the water. It, at that point, was sort of a classic TV joke. The BBC, um, head by, headed by uh, Michael Michael Greer, I believe he was, who was the controller of BBC. Um, he was really not a big fan of the show. He hated the lousy sci-fi um, aspects of it. Um, what he termed as now, say, sci-fi aspects of it. And so the show was cancelled, and it had lots of different um, um, interest from overseas production companies. Um, and th- the Doctor Who magazine had just launched at this point, so there was a starting of a emergence of lots and lots of like, fans wanting to get Doctor Who started. Um, at one point, I believe, there was a, um, a, a call-in day where all the 1,000 fans all called into the BBC at one point and basically shouted, like, we need Doctor Who back. So this is the sort of production start of it. And then a person... So I was pretty sure you were wrong about. Um, Doctor Who magazine started in 1979. What is significant about it is that it continued post-cancellation, not that it started post-cancellation. Okay, well, that's... that's uh, thank, you, thank you for correcting me on that. I, um, I, I, I do appreciate but you, you, apart from that, you're doing you're doing a fantastic job. Well, thank you very much. Um, so there was a there was a person I believe. If, if, correct me if I'm wrong on this. I think it was um, Matthew Jacobs who was the writer. Um, and then there was a there was a person who oh, I, I need to find out the name of the, the the person. But he he was American and he remembered watching the show um, with his Philip Siegel. Da Philip Siegel. Philip Siegel. There we go. He remembered watching the program on his father's net knee when he was younger and wanted to rejig the, po- the program and so as soon as it got cancelled he kept on sending the BBC emails and letters and etc and eventually he started to work at uh, Universal is that is that correct? Um, 
or was it? It was it was Steven Spielberg's studio at the time. No, so that's he started working at Amblin. Amblin, yes. He's like there we go. He started working at Amblin, um, and so because Steven Spielberg was attached, um, even briefly, just in name rather than actual, and, and, and tenuously, very tenuously, it was used as a like a, a way to get the product <laughs> sold. It's like we've got Steven Spielberg. He's never seen any of it, but he he, he says something. Um, so and so it got it started as a production idea, and they brought in a couple of previous writers. They. Um, wrote some atrocities, <laughs> can I say? Uh, they wrote an idea... Previous where... writers because they've previously written for Doctor Who or because they're no longer writers? I think previous writers because they're no longer writers. Well, they, they they got writers who had never previously written for Doctor Who and wanted to reinvent the product. But the way they reinvented the product took away all the magic away from Doctor Who. That's what the sad thing about it was. Is that so? The idea was that it would be a political story. Before you go on about what they did to lose the magic, what for you is the magic of Doctor Who? Oh, that's a lovely question. Um, I, I, there's a line that Peter Capaldi says in, um, I'm gonna butcher it, but it's in Death in Heaven in season eight finale, which the doctor says, I am an idiot, I'm a traveler in time, passing through, helping out where I can. I am not a good man. I'm not a bad man. I am not a hero. I'm definitely not a president. And no, I'm not an officer. Do you know what I am? I am an idiot with a box and a screwdriver. Passing through, helping out, learning. I don't need an army. I never have, because I've got them. Always. That's what I think the Doctor is at the, the, the core. Um, he, she, or they at this point is, you've got to have that anarchic charm as a Doctor. You've got to bring the comedy. You've got to tie it to our social reality. I always think the Doctor Who is is at its best when it's using science fiction and the past to comment on our present um, in an anarchic, fun way. Because nothing like this has ever been on television. It's a really, it's a fascinating format. The format of Doctor Who allows it to go to so many different places and allows the the imagination of so many different children um, and adults like we are now um, to go anywhere and to do anything. And the way that Doctor Who has been run and led, especially in the Patrick Troughton era, my favourite era, as I say, is the Patrick Troughton era, uh, the Tom Baker my, my, era. Mine too, mine too, actually. Yeah, Patrick Troughton, Tom Baker, and then leading... Um, Peter Davidson I like, but um, I... I I, we'll go into it if we ever do classic Doctor Who. I think John Nathan Turner did some wonderful things, but mostly terrible things to Doctor Who. Sorry, John Nathan Turner. Um, but and, is, he, is he alive? Is he alive? Do you know? I don't know if John Nathan Turner's alive. Um, <laughs> not, not that, not that it, ma- not that it matters. It's, not it's that just it matters, a TV show. It is just. <laughs> it's not just a TV show. Sorry, Charlie. It's not just a TV show. Um, right, I, I is... want to point out there's never been anything like it. Maybe Star Trek: The Next Generation is the closest thing. Yeah, that's a very good point. That's a very good point. That's a fantastic. That's a that's a wonderful way of putting that. Yeah, I think I think there there is some connection between this film and Star Trek: The Next Generation. I'm not entirely sure. It might have been Philip Siegel. Um, we can edit in some audio where I get it right. <laughs> But there is some connection between the two, and I think that's obviously that is a coincidence, but it's also interesting. Mm. 
what gives them you the magic of Doctor Who? Um, I d- I don't know because unlike you, I wasn't introduced to it through the classic episodes. I very much came on board. I came on board very quickly, but I came on board very much through Rusty Davis, Chris Freckleston, Billy Piper, and those episodes. Mm. I honestly, I I just like the idea of. Oh fuck! I don't know. I don't know. Will I don't know what my what I like about the show. I know I like it. I know I love it. I don't fucking know what I like about it. It's just every. It's just everything. The idea that, like you said, that that it is simultaneously bound by this structure and this formula, but also it is totally boundless. That there are no limits to which you can go. What I like most, not so much about Doctor Who, but about the Doctor himself or herself or this themselves um, is that he uses being clever to win and do good rather than, because I think a lot of heroes, particularly when we were growing up, were very much about if they were strong, that's how they'd win. If they were strong, that was, I think it was such a good role model for um, people the age that we were. I really loved the Doctor. I loved the idea that there was someone who would meet strangers and solve their problems because it was the right thing to do. And that they weren't selfish with that. They would take on these human companions who we could see ourselves in and ask what they wanted to see. I think that's a very nice way of putting it. Um, what I think that I, I was I like watching a lot of reaction videos. Um, so people reacting to big twists and etc. Used to do it with Game of Thrones a lot. And now I'm doing it with Doctor Who. And there's a um, there's a group of um, I, I I think they would self call themselves um, geeks called um, geeks or nerds called uh, Blind Wave, who watch lots of different sci-fi and fantasy and comic book stuff and react to it um, online. And they'd never seen Doctor Who before. And so they went in cold with Rose in the, I think it's, they started in around about 2016. So bear in mind that... Oh, so not, not, not in 2005. No. So they, so they all started later on. They started in 2016, watching 2005. And at that point, obviously, technology and special effects have, built, have got better and et cetera. Um, but what the, the thing they said that made them keep on watching the show, and I think that this is the, the thing that... Doctor Who has, which a lot, lot of show has, because they said it was just charming. The show charmed them, whether it was through comedy or through um, the realness of the companions versus Doctor relationship or the crazy aliens that you kind of believe are real, but you kind of don't believe are real in, in a lot of them. Um, whether it's the seriousness, the sort of gothic horror elements established in Tom Baker's era. Um, all of these aspects brought together create a show that not is not necessarily the best show in the world although I think it is as an emotionally. Um, but it's a show that's so charming that as a fan, you just stick with it. Speaking of bonus episode like this one, we should really go into the Doctor Who movie, shouldn't we? Um, so let's let's start off the... the let's start at the beginning. Off, yeah, let's start at the beginning. A very good place to start. I was going to do that. <laughs> I've taken your, your bit. Um, so it starts with um, Paul McGann voicing over 
the fact that in Old Scarrow, uh, that the, the master is put on trial. Is Old Scarrow a bit like Old New York? Old Scarrow is a bit like New Old New York, apparently. Uh, Old Scarrow <laughs> is also I d- also it's not made clear if the Daleks are put, putting the do- the uh, master. So the master is on trial, um, and his he is put to be executed, and his last wish is for the Doctor to bring him to Earth. Sidebar. Interesting facts about, first of all, it is the Daleks. Second of all, do you know who voices the Daleks in the, in that scene when they say exterminate to the master? No, I don't. It is a very heavily edited Jeffrey Sachs, who is the director of this episode. Oh, wow. Okay. Nice little tidbit that has brought us off topic again. Yes, exactly. The, the never-ending tangent that is this show. Carry on. Um, so then, the, so then we then get introduced to Paul McGann doing more voiceover work, which I'm not really sure about. Do you, do you think that's a good narrative device to have Paul, before you see Paul McGann, he, you are hearing him speak? Well, I've got two problems with it. The first one is that Paul McGann is narrating before Paul McGann is the Doctor, and I understand that it's Correct. a retro, it's a retrospective. But while that character is on screen being played by another actor it's a bit i found it a bit jarring but that might just be that i knew paul mcgann was coming i don't know if i was just tuning into this on bbc that i'd that i'd really care and especially considering sylvester mccoy only has 11 lines yes and each of those yes each of those 11 lines are perfect sylvester mccoy is wonderful in this (laughs) i really i really think he is um, but you know they had to really fight to get him in the episode mm. because people at Fox um, who ended up producing it they wanted Tom Baker to play the old Doctor. Really? Yeah, because he was much more how Americans viewed Doctor Who, and Sylvester McCoy, um, and, and this came from Alan Yentob, who was who took over from what was his name that you said before, controller of the BBC. Uh, I believe it's Michael Michael Greer, but I'm not. I, Michael I Greer, that's right. I was thinking check. of Michael Freer. Anyway, um, he really didn't want Sylvester McCoy because he associated him with the decline in popularity. But Philip Siegel, who loved Doctor Who so much, said, "No, we're not doing a reboot. It has to be proper continuity." And the last Doctor was Sylvester McCoy, so we're going to have him. Hmm. I'm trying to look up if it's actually Michael Greer or not, but I have no idea. Um, we're, we're, I'm, 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 you have no idea if it's Michael Greer? I have no idea if it's Michael Greer. All right, Dr. Hughes. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think if, I'll, add a little, I'll add a little postscript in at the end of the episode if this airs, um, saying uh, we refer to him as Michael Greer the whole podcast. In actual fact, it's this person. But the premise of the episode is the master escapes. The doctor is shot at the beginning of the part of the episode. He regenerates into We need to talk about the fact how he, how the doctor is shot. Not not right now, but I've got a lot of feelings about that. I've got a lot of feelings how he's shot. Um the doctor is shot, Paul McGann comes out, he's got amnesia to who he is. Um he is actually killed not by the gang, but by Grace. The world's worst surgeon. The world's worst surgeon, uh, who does full surgery in a foreground, although that is camp. That is fucking camp. We'll get back to that campness of that. Um and the what? Meanwhile, the master as um, this weird jizz snake 
um, gooey liquid goes Anal into beads. the body of um, the the person who was in the um, ambulance. ambulance with. Yeah. <laughs> ambulance Did you forget the word for ambulance? <laughs> well, I didn't. I was trying to think of what his role, like his job was. But he's, he's, a, he's a paramedic. paramedic. Yeah. yeah. I was I was thinking anesthesiologist, anesthesiologist. And I was like, that's not right. Anesthetician. Is it not anesthesiologist? I think Stop. I think you're probably right. <laughs> Get rid of the bit where anyway. I'm wrong. <laughs> edit it out. Edit it out. Anytime that Charlie's wrong, we edit it out. Um, that is the premise then, of this show. That is the premise of this show. And then uh it all goes it all goes to shit, really. <laughs> that's that the episode or the plot? The plot and the episode. I think that's a brief and succinct summary of the plot. That's enough to be getting on with. I think going forward, maybe we'll just read the IMDb or the Netflix summary. <laughs> I think once we get onto the Rusty Davis episodes and they're on Netflix, we can use their summary. Because... Well, I think we'll also remember that. I think we'll, they're also competent enough plot-wise that I'm not going to have to um and ah about it because I'm like, what the what bit does that? Just wait mean? till we get to Stephen Moffat. Oh my gosh, I didn't even think about that. At this point, we're probably like at, through through the. It ended with David Tennant, and it was perfect forever. Oh no, Stephen Moffat did Day of the Doctor. I know, He's I know. Wonderful. I'm being, I'm being hack, I'm being hacky. I actually love Matt Smith. You're being that callous Doctor Who fan that's like Doctor Who is never good enough. It will no, it it will never be as good as it was when we were kids because we were kids. Exactly, exactly. I think if we'd grown up in a Matt Smith time, we would have, we would have also loved that show as well. Okay, okay. There's a few things at the very beginning that I would love to talk to you about, and I know we said. We'd think about starting by talking about the Doctor, but considering this is also a regeneration story, I think that can probably wait until we get a bit further into the episode. Okay, so the Master is dead. He's been executed by the Daleks and requests that the Doctor takes his remains back to Gallifrey. And first of all, the Daleks let the Doctor do that. Whatever. They don't go, they don't go into that. What I don't get is the Master's remains are volatile. And the doctor just puts him in a box. And then he gets out the sonic screwdriver, which I might add, is the first time the doctor has used the sonic screwdriver since Peter Davison. No. No, 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 no. Yeah, no. that's right, isn't it? Peter Davison did not use the sonic screwdriver. No, he's, he's the one that stopped using it. Oh, I see. I see what you mean. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, and then no one did it after that until this. And he uses it, and all that happens is... A wooden bolt closes this box. <laughs> the grand return of this magical gadget closes a box. Not in a high-tech way, just in the way that you close a box. And, understandably, the box immediately breaks. Yeah, literally immediately. He, he, it's, not, starts... it's not because the, doctor, the TARDIS crashes into anything. It's just because the master is inside it and he breaks it. Yep. Literally, oh, it's it's terrible. Like I, I do not understand the plan of the Doctor. Like, do you? Why would you trust the Master at, ever at this at this point? Um, I suppose in this point is as it's a TV soft reboot um, of the show that we don't know the 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 scariness and the power of the Master. But the Doctor. But first of all, the Doctor. First of all, the Doctor does, and second of all, how dead is the Master supposed to be? Exactly. Now, I understand that the Master, the, the, the thing that the current showrunners have said about the Master is the Master will always come back. He will always escape death. 
There's no matter what bad situation you put him in or her in, um, they will always escape death. Now, however, the Daleks executing the Master in the the Batman Forever Riddler um, timepieces. Um, <laughs> it's so true. So it, it, it literally is Batman and Batman and Batman Forever. The Rid- the Riddler's like hideout. That is exactly. What I, he gets I know exactly. I know. In. I know what you're talking about. Um, it like, it is very Joel Schumacher ish. Yes, it is. But like, is that what all Time Lords become after they get destroyed? It's just this weird jizz like jizz snake. Jizz snake. I'm. I, this episode is going to be called hashtag jizz snake. That's what I just want that to be called. <laughs> hashtag jizz snake. Get it trending. <laughs> exactly. Um, which classic monster would you like to return in the new series? I want the Jizz Snake. <laughs> exactly. Um, well, it's it's weird because the, it has the weird thing about it is it has several different forms. Like at one point, it's seen as like a green and white coat, like green and white, like slithering snake. Then it's seen as like a sort of like a sex toy, weird, like ribbed ribbed Jizz Snake. Then it's like a coat. It looks, looks like, like anal a, beads. Yes, literally looks like anal beads. And then it turns into um, like a cobra at the end of it, and so with a weird, with a weird CGI face, that cobra's face was so weird. I was very disappointed that it entered the master through his mouth. <laughs> there is some fan fiction we could write about that. <laughs> is, uh, we have we have so much scope. Um, what do you think? Let's okay. So we talked about that. What do you think about Sylvester McCoy's death then? I can't start talking about Sylvester McCoy's death without talking about what causes it. So we open in Chinatown in San Francisco. San Francisco, that's correct. And there is an old couple who on first watching I thought were the family of Chang Li. They're not. It then cuts to the street and we never see those guys again. Yeah. It was just, oh, look, Chinese people kill fish or buy whole fish. I'm not quite sure what it was doing there. But anyway, cut to Chang Li and two other young men. I will not call them boys. I will not call them kids. These are grown men running through Chinatown. They see a car. They run down a side street. The car chases them. They get out guns, start shooting the car. They start shoot the three of them, Chang Li included, start shooting this guy who is in a car. The guy drives away. And then they start celebrating I think one of them does a karate kick into a high five. I'm not quite sure. I think sure so. Yeah. Because they're Asian and they know Kung Fu. Yeah, it's it's a horrible, it's a horrible rendering. It's like... Oh, let, the let, 90s let's were make... awesome. I know, I know. It's just so sad when you realise the blatant Orientalism of, of, like, all 90s products. But this is especially bad. So then these guys come out and they've got machine guns and suddenly the TARDIS appears, Sylvester McCoy gets out and they start machine gunning the TARDIS. After machine gunning this man, they run away in fright saying, what was that thing? (laughs) After they've shot him. (laughs) I know. I know. Then 
Chang Lee goes over and says to the doctor, Oh, don't worry, sir. I'll help you. Chang Lee will help you. Why? Why is that reassuring? You're and a little... You're it's a gang not member. reassuring. It's dangling the fact that we need to name this character. <laughs> we need to give this character a name. So it's like, don't worry, Chang Lee will help you. It's, it's so bad. You it's so true. It's like so this. Chang Lee will help you because is it meant to be like a cute young thing? I don't know. I think for this think man, what, for this for this make, grown man to say. Well, I think what they were trying to aim for, but, but, but didn't execute at all, was um, um, a, a younger, a young man in in a situation which he can't, which he has been... From the like, wrong side of the tracks. Exactly, wrong side of the tracks. He's in this situation now and he wants to get out of it. And the only way he can get out of it is through um, having money so he can build a new life um, and away, away from, yeah, that kind of idea. But the problem with that is that he is loving being in the gang at the start of it. And then throughout the rest of it, there's no like, there's no like relation to, from the, his want of money later on in the episode. Like there's no relation to his to vulnerability. Yes. There's no relation to him wanting money to, yeah, exactly. To his vulnerability. Yes. Um, yeah. And, and I think that's also one of the big problems of this episode. Or I refer to it as an episode because it is technically in the continuity. Yes. And because, I'm an idiot. <laughs> because I got it wrong and I wanted to justify it. <laughs> but then realised I couldn't. <laughs> it never it never comes back. I think part of the problem with this episode is there are so many threads, which partly due to it not being picked up for a series, but also just their general approach to narrative never get picked up again. Mm. And I think that if you, if you take Rose, for example, yeah. and... Um, you and there are some loose threads in that you talk about um it's the you talk the who is the doctor um if we've not introduced him uh, all of those all of those threads you've not really introduced a lot of the central characters but you but basically everything's there basically everything is there to to start with as a reboot but more important but more importantly there is clearly stuff set up for aliens in london yeah for father's day for Boomtown and for uh, Parting of the Ways. Yes, all of it is set up there. This sets up a lot of stuff that should have been followed through within the episode. The implication is that it wouldn't have mattered if it were picked up for series because neither Grace nor Chang Lee go off with the Doctor at the end. Because Chang Lee's backstory... Chang Li's backstory would be perfect for a companion redemption story. Having said that, I do like the way in which she doesn't go with him. I, th- I think it made her look way cooler than she does for the rest of the episode. Yes, 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 yes. I agree. Um, let's go back. And we've talked about Sylvester's death. Let's now talk about the next major thing that happens, which is... And I think this is uh, my moment to shine. Uh, it is the introduction of the companion, Grace, played by Daphne Ashbrook. Um, she is for, she is, she is, um, she's talked about as amazing Grace, etc. This amazing surgeon. Grace Holloway. Grace Holloway. Um, 
it's it's a very Edwardian Wardian sounding name. I quite like it. It sounds like a sort of mystery character in a in a Sherlock Holmes novel. I like it. Um, yeah. And you then have one of the stupid fades they do in this whole. We'll get onto that. This whole the uh, movie into an opera, and then you pan up, and it's Grace in this full ball gown with glasses in tears at the opera. Now that is camp. That is camp. Um, I loved it. I loved it as an introduction to a character. I thought it was. I thought it was. It sort of built an idea of what she, what her interests were, what um, what also um, makes her emotionally tick. And I thought it was a great introduction to a character. And then she gets called up um, to do perform surgery early for some reason. Her pager goes. She doesn't have a mobile because it's set in 1999, but made in 1996. Yes, exactly. Um, and she goes and then performs surgery in a, in her full ball gown with a scene of her walking down the hospital wing in this full ball gown. And it's, I, I am obsessed with this character entrance. I think it's incredible. I think it's great. I will say that everything after this opening of Grace is terrible. Like Grace's character hits a peak in the first 10 minutes and then falls. And she's introduced as basically, she is the person who technically kills the doctor because she tries to fix him, assuming that he has human biology, and that kills him. Which is a reasonable assumption. It is a reasonable assumption. Yes. You know, for a surgeon. Having said that, that doesn't excuse her for wearing a ball gown while doing surgery. And I'm still... I'm still not over it. I have a few things to say about the first couple of scenes with Grace. Yeah. Um, if you'll allow me. No, please. So did you notice that there is this nurse in the, in the hospital who comes up again later in the episode? Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, she's the one who, when... I'm look this up again because I forgot the person's name, but I Googled it earlier. When... Salinger um, says that the cardiologist on call is Amazing Grace. She does this little smirk as if the joke was, maybe the joke was that she is terrible at surgery. She's a really bad cardiologist, and that's why the name Amazing Grace is so funny to her. See, I thought it was a sexist remark. Possibly, but she does seem to be his superior. Yes, that's true. Well, this is the problem with this whole movie is that it just it throws out ideas like Amazing Grace. Um, and that's a very Moffat thing to, to do is um, you have Clara, the impossible girl. You have um, Amy, the girl who waited. You have the raggedy doctor. But you don't. You have epithets that never really mean anything. Yes, you have epithets. Um, there's one I want to. I know this is skipping ahead, but I just want to talk about this before I forget about it. There is a line that Paul McGann says to Grace just as um, he regenerates and is in the car. And no, it's before that. It's literally on his first meeting when he's in the elevator. And he says, I know you. You're tired of life and you're afraid of dying. Um, do you remember that bit? Yeah, I remember that bit. And I don't understand it. Exactly. I think it is a beautiful piece of text that if... Why? It... Why, do, why do you think that? I think it's wonderful. I think I think if you I think if you'd talked about that, I think it would have been very interesting to just immediately get that idea. 
But the problem is, is that none of that is foregrounded. It's just a, a, a nice line. I think it's said very nicely. I think it's delivered very, very well. I think um, Paul McGann gives it the gravitas of like mystery that I think is needed to it. I would just like to but, say that Paul McGann is doing an amazing job in this episode. Yes. For all the failings of this episode, he is as pitch perfect as he could be given the script. He's wonderful. We we both watched, um, thank you to Clever Dix as well, the um, audition, um, the the screen, what's it called? Screen reading? Is that what you call it? Screen test. Screen test. It's what it's what we call it in the biz. It's what we call it in the dot biz, yes. Um, <laughs> and it's incredible. In the dot it's org. A, and, it, and, and that is a terrible scene. That's a terrible written screen in that screen test. But well, it, 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 it didn't come... It, it was never filmed. It, that's the old script, isn't it? Yes, that's the old script. But I will say about that is that Paul McGann doesn't get a lot of chances in this episode to have these big monologue moments. But when he does, every time he speaks, he imbues the Doctor with a sense of mystery, with a sense of fun. And with this, I, I think he's got a bit of a darkness to him. And there's something about the way he moves his lips. I know that sounds so silly. But there's something about the way that he like lingers on certain words and certain um, and focuses on certain and things. And that just might be good acting. But I just find it remarkable. I find him he brings a real sense of gravitas to the part. I think that there was certainly something intentional about bringing in someone who had made their name in costume dramas. Hmm. I think they definitely wanted to go for this sort of old world gentility and Englishness for this futuristic genre. And I think that I, I'm not sure if that's the case with any any particular doctors in New Who, but it, I, I think it was I think it was in Old Who um, with people like John per- people like John Pertwee or Patrick Troughton, mm. and I, I suppose John Hurt. Uh, later on but um well i think william hartnell is kind of that sort of edwardian grandfather character as well yes but he wasn't known for that when he got the role he was known for True. playing soldiers oh i see what you mean yes 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 yes. yeah and i, I think you've got a bit of colin firth as mr darcy mm-hmm. i think you've got a bit of hugh grant in richard curtis films Mm-hmm. And you also have sort of the natural charm of Paul McGann. How he is just, you know, whenever you see him in any role. And I think that what Paul McGann adds to the role is this sort of toughness, which you, which is subtle. And I think that if he'd been given more to do in the role, you would have been able to see that side of him come out a bit more. Mm. But I think that there's this real yearning for humanity and love and i think that's why some of his things are a bit over the top Mm. i'm very happy that he got his chance to shine in big finish and in night of the doctor it's it's very interesting to think about what doctor who was like for people before the 2005 series because we were what like nine when that came out like around about eight or nine so i i'd have i'd have been eight i was in i was in year three yeah and i would have been I would have been nine just about. But I think it's very interesting to think about the the time of Paul McGann as the Doctor and how he's considered by Doctor Who fans. And there is a line in um, Queer as Folk. Um, 
in uh, Rusty Davis writing Queer as Folk, and in Queer as Folk, Rusty Davis makes the one of the three central characters a Hoovian. Um, and one of the ca- one of the characters is basically saying that your new boyfriend doesn't know you as well as I know you, and he shouldn't be with you if he if he doesn't like all of your things. And he then lists out all of the doctors to prove this, and then he says Paul McGann at the end, and then and then he said and then he says. Well, actually, Paul McGann doesn't count because he's in the Doctor Who movie. And I think that's interesting, especially coming from Rusty Davis, his writing at that point about a conventional fan of Doctor Who. That's really interesting to think about as in in the in the the time between 1996 and 2005, Paul McGann was known as a doctor in Big Finish, but potentially to a lot of fans that he he was considered a non-canon doctor at that point. And so he had he has done other Doctor Who credits to his name, but it is a bit of a tragedy that he did not get the full because because what's his voice is very powerful, but he is so expressive in the role as well. I'm thinking, of course, of that moment where he realizes who he is in the Doctor, and he's like bouncing his feet, and he's so cute at that moment. He's amazing, and he immediately ruins it by kissing Grace and sucking all the character out of her. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about the Doctor and Grace's romance which is novel for doctor who it's never happened in classic doctor who before this is the first time it happens it obviously happens later on in uh the rusty davis era and going forward um what do you think of it charlie (laughs) i don't want you to cut this pause because it's deliberate (laughs) (laughs) um Was everyone just really thirsty in the 90s? So thirsty. Because it's not just Grace and it's not just the Doctor. It's also Bruce's wife. Yeah. So he's not snoring anymore and he's calling himself the master. Time to bone. Literally. They're, they're so fucking horny. Everyone is so horny. Even, you know, that girl at the party that goes up to the security guard and he's like, well, well they're going to get married because the Doctor told him something i don't know yeah it's a very weird like idea of what how sexual interactions and relationships happen it's like i look at someone and then decide and then that happens because uh, she refers to him as the right man yeah after me after knowing each other for literally about i don't know how long at this point but also five minutes after trying to get him sectioned literally that's that's my main problem with it is that i don't have a problem with the idea that there is a relationship between a companion and the Doctor in its in it, in its entirety. No, I think it's actually fueled some of the most interesting plot lines in the revival. Exactly, and I think it's I think the I what I like about the Tennant and Eccleston dynamic is that um, after the horrors of the Time War, Eccleston finding this person who he finds quite remarkable allows him to believe in life and then therefore love again. And I like that. I like that as a character progression. Um, but in this, Paul McGann kisses Grace, but then Grace kisses him back, and then it's like more. And I'm, <laughs> she, li- she literally says like more, please, or something like that. No, no, she says um, kisses her, then says, "I remember who I am. I'm the Doctor." And she says, "Yeah, yeah, you are. Now do it again." Yeah, literally. In my asshole. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
then then it cuts um, to no, it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't. And then it's just no... that Team America extended sex scene <laughs> where it shits all over. <laughs> Literally, it's like an episode of Torchwood. Um, <laughs> For the, next, for the next half an hour. Where it's they not. shit all over each other. <laughs> oh my god, that is not how anal sex works. Just, just can confirm. Teach me. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, th- th- this it will take a long time. To, let's go more into Doctor Who rather than anal <laughs> no, sex. Not during the lockdown, exactly. No. Oh god, yes. Stay at home. Oh, just a really tangent. Just, a, just, a, just. A th- this is going to happen in the future, so th- we might be lo- at lockdown at this point. But I just want to say, people on Grinder who are saying things like "it's fine," like staying at home means that I can I come all the time, and so I can I can have loads more sex. Stop it! No, not okay. Stop it right now. Um, I saw a Grinder profile today, Charlie, that had um, a, a the 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 title, the guy whose the name it was was sanitized handjob. He wanted someone to give him a hand handjob and then. With hand sanitizer on it as lube. Does it work? <laughs> I, d- I didn't have the courage to ask. <laughs> How did you swipe? Grind is not a swipe thing. You just have everyone. Like you, it's based on distance. So whoever's nearest to you is first on the square, and then it goes down to whoever's furthest away. One day I'm going to have to take you to a bar mitzvah just to repay you for all your knowledge you've imparted to me about your culture. <laughs> Literally. Um, anyway, let's get back to it. Um, what I want to say about Grace and the Doctor's romance is it's just too fast, too soon. Yes, you're absolutely right. If it was a series, maybe you could buy it. Because it, it, there's a lot that has shades of Martha. Yes, yes. Not just that she works in a hospital. Um, Martha has kind of a weird connection with someone in an early episode. We'll see that later on. I, I was kind of getting that vibe when I rewatched it a couple of years ago. Mm. And then you kind of got a romantic, non-romantic kiss with the doctor that she reads into. And you've also got her deciding not to go with him, which happens much later on in Martha's case. But I think there are real shades of the doc of what that relationship is like. And will be like in a few years. I don't hate Grace as a character. I think Daphne Ashbrook. I, I I think she does a good job, but I. It feels like with Changley, and equally like with this version of the Master, they never really knew what they wanted these characters to be. I think the only character they got right was the Doctor, which is the character you should be getting right, but very much at the expense of everyone else. And I think that's a real shame. The start of Grace's arc is that she is a doctor who is obsessed with the idea that she killed this patient by, in her books, doing everything that she should have done to keep this patient alive. And so she is obsessed with, when she finds out that he's still alive and regenerated, she's obsessed with finding out how he works. Who are you? Who is this person? You are a literal marvel to medical science. And then as soon as the Doctor kisses Grace, that plotline goes. That plotline goes completely. It is all like, oh my God, Like you're so much better than my ex-boyfriend. It kind of goes in two directions. One is, you're the perfect man. And B, you're insane. Yes, literally. Because shortly after that, she phones an ambulance to try and get him admitted to his psychiatric ward. Yeah. 
Now let's talk about Brian, because Brian, does he know that his girlfriend is a doctor? Well, apparently not. Does he know that she's a cardiologist? And that that's what they do, and he's the idiot that booked opera tickets on a night that she was on call? Well, apparently so. But apparently her doing her job is enough for him to break up with her. Not just break... Move out. Move out in a night. Yeah. But crucially, he leaves his shoes. He takes the sofa, so he organises, like, a moving truck. But he leaves his shoes. And they're, like, new-looking shoes. Oh, yeah. Those shoes are nice. Supposedly, really, they look like they've never been worn. Yeah. Because the doctor says, oh, I need to stretch them and walk around in them. So the implication is they're stiff enough to be new. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why would you leave the new shoes? Why would you, like, everything else is gone. Well, plot. Do you take the sofa? But also, where does he take, where, where's the sofa going? Does he have, like, another place? Yeah, that was, that's a very impressive move move out situation. Going back, going back to something that I said before, and we never, I never actually followed back to about that nurse it's the same nurse that smirks when she hears the words amazing grace she's the one that has brian on the phone yes when he's breaking up with her is she fucking brian is she is he moving the sofa to her place oh my gosh maybe that's it and maybe that's why she knows so much about the breakup when she explains it to the master does she explain the breakup to the master, or does she just... I, I, I know that she... I don't know, actually. Because definitely, definitely the other doctor knows about it. I'm not, I'm not quite sure. I think we can explain this if we had a clip to hand, which we don't. <laughs> Another th- Just one more thing I want to say. I'm really sorry, but I'm really stuck on this. When she leaves the opera... Oh, another thing. They're sitting in the stalls... I'm sure they're, si- they're not sitting in the gallery at the opera. They're sitting on the ground floor. Why the fuck does she has o- have opera glasses? <laughs> I never thought about that. That's amazing. Yeah, why? I, d- I honestly don't know. And it's been bugging me for a few days now. And these, I suppose these things are... I think, I think the problem with this is that in a normal episode of Doctor Who where that would happen, I would excuse it for stylistic choices. I would excuse it for, um, like... But there's, the no consi- but there's no consistency. Because you have, like, gangland Chinatown, and then you have, like, an Edwardian opera where people still wear, like, black tie and ball gowns to the opera. <laughs> So, that is part one of the Doctor Who movie. Um, It's so good that it's in two parts. Um, We have just so much to talk about. Um, And the next part is going to be out on Saturday. Um, And you're listening to this on Friday. But you know that, because you're listening to it um, wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey. You can follow us on Twitter at Doctor Whocast, Instagram on Doctor Whocast, Facebook on, you guessed it, Dr. Hoodcast. Um, I just want to say a big, big thank you to all of the people who've reached out to us um, on Instagram um, and said how much they've enjoyed the um, pod. It really is really nice to know that we're not just creating this in a vacuum or a void um, and people actually responding. It's really, really lovely. Um, and we will see you on Saturday.